Every week, Hillsdale College President Larry P. Arne joins Hugh Hewitt to discuss great books, great men, and great ideas. This is the Hillsdale Dialogues, part of the Hillsdale College Podcast Network. More episodes at podcast.hillsdale.edu or wherever you find your audio. Also at the Hillsdale College Podcast Network, check out the radio-free Hillsdale Hour, the Hillsdale College K-12 Classical Education Podcast, the Larry P. Arn Show, and more, all at podcast.hillsdale.edu. Canada. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Dr. Larry Arn is president of Hillsdale College. Everything you want to know about Hillsdale and the application you need to be admitted to it next fall is found at hillsdale.edu. Dr. Arn and I once a week talk about important things, both past, future, and present. And this week we are back in chapter six of Winston Churchill's magnificent book. I have the Bloomsbury edition of The World Crisis, which came out in 1950, which explains a couple of things, which uh, friends of us have told us. Uh, Dr. Arn, we've been talking about this book for a long time, and you noted in our first conversation about it that everything is purposeful. The quotations at the beginning, the notes at the beginning of every chapter. Well, I have paid attention to that, and at the beginning of chapter six, there is a quote from a man named Kinglake, with whom I'm not acquainted What does this mean, and why did Churchill put it there? Uh, Well, first of all, King Lake was important to Churchill. Uh, There are conversations reported where people walk up to him and say, how do I learn to write? And uh, he would say, read Macaulay. And sometimes they'd say, I read Macaulay. Now what do I read? And Churchill would say, King Lake. He loved King Lake. Well, who uh, is Kinglake? I I don't know. He's a brilliant 19th century writer, historian. And, uh, you know, he and then and then once somebody reported, of course, you know, he reported, right, having a conversation with Winston Churchill, it would get embellished, probably. Anyway, he said, well, I've read them. Now what? And then Churchill said, more Kinglake. So let me read the quote for it's a little bit like. You know, C.S. Lewis really loved a man named George MacDonald and uh, thought George MacDonald helped him find his faith. And George MacDonald, I find hard to read. Wait, is George MacDonald the old knock or is that different? No, that's uh, Kirkpatrick was his name. Okay. George MacDonald is a 19th century Christian author who wrote some fantasy books and some essays. And I find them hard to read myself. And I was confirmed in that opinion because C.S. Lewis edited a volume of his works, excerpts mostly. And in the uh, introduction, C.S. Lewis implies strongly that what he's doing is trying to make this guy readable because <laughs> uh, C.S. Lewis gloried in him. Kinglake is not hard to read. and uh, But Churchill, and so he knew his work. And this quote, he likes this quote because... You know how it, it it touches on the question of expertise. By the way, this chapter it's called the Romance of Design, because when Churchill became First Lord of the Admiralty, Churchill, by the way, was a as a minister, he was a whirlwind. He just changed things in a hurry, and uh, they redesigned the ships and they built a bunch more of them and they altered the strategy. 
And he's inheriting a Navy that's been supreme in the world for 115 years. He says 200 the, years Napoleonic protected War. the island. He says that one of these chapters, for 200 years, the British Navy has protected us. So he's, you know, he's writing in 1905, so it's, you know, since now, 1900. If you, to read this chapter, it is a really great chapter, in my it opinion. Is. I've loved it for years. You, you might put this question in your mind. So it breaks upon the world with the massive power of universal media and social media that there's a no, novel virus and tens or hundreds of millions of people are going to die from it. And that just sweeps the world, right? And then the experts who are in a conflict of interest because they become more powerful if they say yes to that. You see, that's the conflict. That's the problem. And so, so how do you cope with that? This is a model of how to do it. Uh, I, and, no, I, didn't, I didn't know you were going to say that. But I am convinced that this is the most important thing I've read about COVID. This chapter, written in, yeah, what, 1930? You know, I, I, yeah, I, this chapter is not new to me, of course. And so it is true that I talked with certain powerful people in the, when the COVID first broke. And one of my pieces of advice, and this is two weeks in, I was asked by somebody, how are we doing? And I said, get Anthony Fauci off the stage. And he said, who should I get? And he named a person. And I said, no. And he said, you don't like that person. And I said, I don't know that person. What you should do is get a mixture. And then the world will see that they disagree. Because they do. And remember, it's not just that people who are in a conflict of interest because they get more powerful, the worse this thing gets. It's also true that those people are closely connected. Indeed, it's been proved in, in, in weekly communication with the people who give 60% of the funding of science in the world. And so if you want to do a paper that says COVID is not that bad and will kill a lot of people if we shut down the, the uh, world economy, the World Health Organization, according to my friend Jay Bhattacharya, has estimated that because of the lockdowns, 130 million people perished in the third world. We killed those people, if that's true. And that's and I, want, and I want people to understand, we are talking about Chapter 6 because it's about an existential threat to Great Britain, which was the German Navy. And Churchill, who was not a design man or an engineer man had to make decisions upon which the life of Great Britain depended. And he was not an expert. And so it's, it's exactly analogous. Yeah, and, how do you, and remember a, po the, a point about Churchill. Uh, where did he get the authority? First of all, he didn't make that decision alone. He was just in a key place and made the political recommendation. But he made that political recommendation to others, and all of those others had been put there by the people of Great Britain. You see, that's where their authority comes from. Their authority is us, is we. And, and so if you don't respect that, you don't believe in self-government. Now, see? the response and would so, be to the modern time, 
Donald Trump picked Anthony Fauci, and nobody said stop. Does that matter anymore? Because what happened is when you put Fauci on the stage, he captured the imagination of the country as a trustworthy Marcus Welby figure, and media made him who he is, and that's what happened. But it should, he should well, never have been on the stage. They should never have well, created a superstar out of an expert. There should have been. That's right. I, I think I may have said to somebody important, you are turning him into the archangel Gabriel, aren't you? He's the messenger of God now. And, and that's not good because there's, and, and remember, there are people, three of them are friends of mine, their names, and I work with them, Jay Bhattacharya, Scott Atlas, and Martin Kuldorf. And they actually claim, and tens of thousands of serious scientists have agreed with them, that this whole thing, it was a dangerous disease. It was a new virus. Nobody had any immunity. There are going to be some people die. But chapter and verse for 50 years, how to deal with a pandemic of a respiratory virus is that quarantines won't work. And so chapter and verse is try to protect the people who will be killed by it. They will, they will tend to be older and infirm. And, and so that, that's, and that was in the handbook. Uh, Jay Bhattacharya once sent me quotes from that forever. And by the way, it was changed a few months before the pandemic. And the reason we changed it is because modern technology and media elevated the expert class above the people's representatives. And the yeah, people's well, representatives, you know, uh, got a minute. You know, there was break. a very bad pandemic and it, it killed a couple of million people, if I remember correctly, after the First World War. And yeah. it was a respiratory virus. The Spanish and it flu. was yeah. wicked because it killed young people. A lot, young men in particular. Some people have the theory that it had to do with the First World War and the trauma they'd gone through. But whatever, right? Still not fully known. But the point is, they didn't shut down the whole country. Because if they'd announced that they were shutting down the the whole country, everybody would have said, what? (laughs) You know, and then gone back to work. When we come back, when Churchill has to act with the Admiralty to decide how to defend the country against Germany, He's got to make decisions based on what experts tell him. How does he do that? That matters a lot. It's in Chapter 6 of The World Crisis, Volume 1. I'll be back with Dr. Arn to talk about that. Stay tuned. The book of Exodus is one of the central narratives of the Bible. It recounts the moment when God rescues his people from slavery in Egypt and gives them the Ten Commandments to guide their moral and religious freedom. But how well do you actually know the story? In Hillsdale College's new, free, online course, The Exodus Story, you'll learn the spiritual significance of the Old Testament's most epic book. In The Exodus Story, Hillsdale College professor of English, Justin Jackson, picks up the biblical narrative where his course on Genesis ended. Join Dr. Jackson in learning about the nature of God's mercy, human freedom, and the relationship between the divine and man. Discover the beauty of God reclaiming the Israelites through his mercy and love in the Exodus story. To enroll today and secure your spot in this completely free online course, visit hillsdale.edu slash newcourse. That's N-E-W-C-O-U-R-S-E.
hillsdale.edu slash new course. Welcome back, America. One of the reasons I love this book so much is I've never read it before. And that upon reading it, I'm consulting with Dr. Arn, who has read it very often. The book is The World Crisis, Volume 1, and it's about the years 1911 and 1914. And one of the problems is the Kaiser has decided he needs a Navy. And Germany has never had a Navy before. But a Navy is what Great Britain has. And if you challenge Great Britain's Navy, you're challenging their ability to exist. And so he's got to get organized. He's got to figure out, do we switch to oil? Do we build bigger guns? What kind of ships do we do? These are all very highly technical issues. And he writes, Dr. Arn, on page 82, I had anxious conferences with these experts, with whose science I was, of course, wholly unacquainted to see what sort of men they were and how they really felt about it. Uh, I think in that are worlds. I think there are worlds within that phrase about how to govern. What do you read in that phrase? You can go outside this to something he wrote previously, one of my favorite things he ever wrote, which, interestingly enough, I've only known about in recent years, is Churchill had a correspondence with H.G. Wells. I sent it, this, what I'm about to quote, paraphrase, Mm -hmm. to some powerful people who were overseeing the pandemic. Uh, Churchill liked the future. He's like you. Unlike you, though, he thinks you can actually talk about it with information. <laughs> he didn't think that. He, so he liked H.G. Wells, who was a crazy socialist, and they got on for a long time. He read all his books, and he writes to him, and he says, I cannot agree that a future society can be governed by experts. Expert knowledge is narrow knowledge. Who can be an expert on all the things involved in every practical decision? And then I quoted this last week, but I didn't quote the rest of it, more of it. He also says, is there not also a form of expertise in consulting with the competing experts, in in consulting the interest and wishes of the people one serves, and of making an ultimate practical practical decision based on all that you see he did not quote that's that what had that that is key. Yeah. And I, that's what and and see remember that's necessary because something has to be done and there's lots of opinions including among highly sophisticated experts about what should be done somebody has to decide science can't decide Anthony Fauci's pretensions notwithstanding, he is not actually the embodiment of science. He's, Moreover, you know, who do you said. consult with? You consult with the people. When Donald Trump was at his best, he would hold rallies, which were nothing more than feedback loops for a variety of political positions that he would put before. Some of them fell flat and he would abandon them. And some of them resonated and he would double down. When his feedback loop was broken by COVID, he lost his touch to a certain extent, Dr. Arne. That's my belief, is that COVID shut down the rallies. Well, you see, it's, you know, the vice of all punditry is it's organized second guessing. Of course. Uh, but, but that is its genius, too. We're never wrong. Yeah, that's right. Also, we can say anything we want to about the future, because when it gets here, nobody will remember. 
Exactly. Uh, although it was tape. a little risky talking about a thing that was going to happen on Wednesday, knowing <laughs> that the results would <laughs> would be available the next day. But so, but here, I will tell you that I this is a, a rule the church will always follow. I thought at the time that that this was an occasion for the president of the United States and everybody else to risk their whole careers one way or another. It's, it's very remarkable to shut down the whole country. That proved actually, and it looked like it was going to prove in the day, safer than resisting the urge to lock down the country. And I think that that was the right thing to do. And we're in Switzerland, but I will tell you, Ron DeSantis got pretty quick, not immediately, but within three or four weeks, he got to the place where he was not going to lock down Florida. Huge pressure to do it. Major and it, eruptions. And so it, you did words, the same thing with Hillsdale. You case. shut it down, but then you reopened it. I was slower than everyone because I was in love with Anthony Fauci and expertise, and I fell out of love. And there's a longstanding rule that the way out of a cult is when you figure out that somebody's lying to you when they say inconsistent things. And when I began to figure out that Dr. Fauci and Dr. Collins were not telling me the truth is when they lost their hold on me. But the whole country got one minute to break. The whole country didn't get out of that, Dr. Arndt. They never got out of it. We're still not out of it, actually. But if, but if and see, that's the sickness in the country, by the way. If they, but never mind. It is the duty of a person who holds a, a position of responsibility to do the duty proper to it. And that means that even if the people are against you, if you think some terrible harm is going to come, and really serious harm, and the pandemic policies have distorted the whole republic, then you got to stand up to that win, lose, or draw. And I don't think many did that. Uh, uh, and we're going to talk about who did and why after the break, because Churchill stood up to a lot of things when he got the Navy ready, and the fleet was indeed ready. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back, America. Dr. Larry Arn and I are allegedly talking about Chapter 6 in Churchill's World Crisis, but we're actually talking about COVID, and there's a reason. And it's what happened when a crisis arises. The crisis that arises in 1911 to 1914 is Germany is building a navy that threatens the existence of Great Britain. And Churchill is the man who must come up with the strategy. The strategy involves not only changing the nature of the ships that they're building, but moving to oil. And Dr. Arn, I'm astonished. I've never read this before until we get ready for this book. And the weight of that decision is so enormous. And, and he writes at one point, the camel once swallowed, the gnats went down easily enough. But you've got to swallow the camel first, and then everything else follows. What we did with COVID, the camel was, do we shut the country down? And we made the wrong choice. And by we, I mean... I think. 95% and, of the country. And, and see, if you, so this this chapter, by the way, uh, this is a chapter we're studying in this, you know, because we're trying to think maybe, maybe we're going to have an election next year that has some fairness in it. You never know these days. But 
we have to make some choices. We should take them seriously, right? And this is a good thing to study because it shows, in my opinion, how a choice is well made. And I, I'm going to outline the chapter very quick. Go, take your time. Uh, we have a long segment. He shows this decision revolutionized the British Navy, in, and it revolutionized British strategy because it involved going from coal, of which Britain has a lot, to oil, which they had to go across the oceans to get. And he shows it starts with this. There's this utmost particular, Aristotle would call it, and that is uh, some ships are going to be shooting at each other. How do you win that battle? Step one, if you've got bigger guns, you throw bigger shells. And every time you hit them, you do more damage than when they hit you. That's the step one. Step two, now, if you're going to have big guns, he, say, he describes how you design a ship. And he says you draw a circle for every turret of every gun. And the bigger guns, these are 15-inch guns, and they throw a shell that's like a Volkswagen. Every time you draw a circle, you're determining the size of the, of the deck. And the deck is just a big gun platform. And so ships got, if you're going to have 15-inch guns and you're going to have a few of them, you're going to have to have a big old whacking ship. Well, then you're going to have to drive the darn ship. And you need big engines. But go back to this ships shooting at each other. Because ships are shaped the way they are. They have to go through the water, and so they're skinny and long. Uh, the weight of their shells are thrown from the broad side. You can't put many guns up in the front or down in the back. And so they're going to be broadside to each other. But if you can get a bit ahead, then you can bring more guns to bear on the leading ships and disorganize the whole en enemy line. They need to go faster, but they're heavier and bigger. How do you make that happen? Uh, they do have more room for boilers and stuff, but uh, if you're shoveling coal, and, you know, the thing about the coal is you throw it in the furnace and it burns up, and then you got to go get some more. And you start with the coal that's close to the furnace, and then you work your way farther and farther away. Huge labor. And there's only room for so many sailors on the ship. And you got to feed them when they're on there, too. So, so oil. Oil just flows through pipes infinitely better. And it actually... Uh, has more energy density in it than coal. And so the ship can go faster and be manned by a smaller crew. And so now, because you want this, this first step, you want to win a battle. And these ships are going to be side by side, and you need two things. You need to hit them harder, and you need to get ahead. And that leads to a revolution in ship design and all of British strategy. Can you? And, uh, I, want, and I want to pause here. It, it takes enormous courage. He's, he's not a civilian. He's an army veteran. He's not a man of the sea. He's a man of the horse. And it takes enormous courage to sit down and stare these old admirals and these engineers in the face and demand the answers to these questions and then to act with authority based upon your assessment of their 
knowledge and their honesty with you. Where, from where do you get sure. that courage? Well, he just was a remarkable human being. He got his courage the same place we get ours. He just got more of it. And, you know, where do we get it? We get it in our characters from making choices, Aristotle explains. You know, you, you, and see, remember this, here's another thing that this chapter means. He is displaying to you the information and the operations of the mind that made this decision. And he, I fancy, put this together more coherently than anyone else could do it. But that was his job. And most of the of the bricks of which this wall is built, most many people in every conversation know about more about each brick than he does. He's the one who could build the wall. And he's telling you, this is how, because he, he didn't just decide to recommend this to the camp, cabinet. He points out he's got to get the chancellor of the exchequer to come up with the money. And these ships cost a lot and a lot more than ships had ever cost before. And he's got to get the whole cabinet to agree and the prime minister to agree. Well, not only is this the way he reasoned it through, this is also the case that he made. So in other words, these things that he came to understand, he had to teach them to everybody else. This is a phenomenon we know as ruling and being ruled in turn, which is Aristotle's description of all proper government. He has to rule the experts, but not with an iron fist. They've got to talk. And you, and you notice something. He wants to look at them while they talk. Because under pressure, people exhibit what they are, you see. And he was perceptive about that. We all are, to some extent, by the way. That's why you want everybody work, uh, looking at us, me, when we do this radio, which gives up one of the main advantages of radio. But, you know, the, the main, you know, the main, you can wear whatever you want to. No, and yeah. I had to get up and put a tie on this morning. Very, very miserable. You didn't put a tie on. I know. I always wear the this same one. thing so no one knows what day it is or where I am. So that's there's a re, there's yeah. an art to why I always wear the same thing. That's good, clever. You're like Prince Charles, King Charles. So he he and now and I see I should zoom ahead a little bit because the British Navy was not able to decide the First World War. A great tragedy because winning with the Navy is the cheap way Britain won its wars and became great. And it, there are reasons why it didn't. First of all, the Germans were very shrewd because if they mean war and they want to isolate the British from the continent, which is what their, he says in a later chapter, that's what their diplomacy was about leading up to the war. If you'll stay out of the war, we'll promise not to take any territory from anybody. You see, what would that promise be worth after they'd won the war? What would Britain do about it if they, if they didn't? And, you know, the war could only break out if, if Germany attacked neighbors that had not attacked it. Right. But they had, and so, we're, we're going to come back, they had done so. Churchill is careful to point out. In the next chapter, which we're going to do next week, the German mind is capable attacking with surprise. Although, for whatever reason, you're going to yeah. have to explain to me, 
They do, he does not believe the Kaiser will do it to Great Britain, even though the Kaiser did it to France. Uh, actually, his father did. I'll be right back. Don't go anywhere, America. The, the keys to where we are right now are found in 1911 or 1914. I become more and more convinced of that. Stay tuned. The book of Exodus is one of the central narratives of the Bible. It recounts the moment when God rescues his people from slavery in Egypt and gives them the Ten Commandments to guide their moral and religious freedom. But how well do you actually know the story? In Hillsdale College's new, free, online course, The Exodus Story, you'll learn the spiritual significance of the Old Testament's most epic book. In The Exodus Story, Hillsdale College professor of English Justin Jackson picks up the biblical narrative where his course on Genesis ended. Join Dr. Jackson in learning about the nature of God's mercy, human freedom, and the relationship between the divine and man. Discover the beauty of God reclaiming the Israelites through his mercy and love in The Exodus Story. To enroll today and secure your spot in this completely free online course, visit hillsdale.edu slash newcourse. That's N-E-W-C-O-U-R-S-E. Hillsdale.edu slash new course. The most damnable person for you to have any dealings with is a naval expert. Sea fighting is pure common sense. The first of all necessities is speed, so as to be able to fight when you like, where you like, and how you like. Jackie Fisher, not yet back at the Admiralty as the first Sea Lord, an outside advisor to Churchill. This raises the question, Dr. Arne, when you're a decider, you need to trust people to give you advice. He picked Jackie Fisher, both a great choice and a disastrous choice. How does Larry Arne pick outside advisors on key issues? Uh, same, you know, same way we all do, right? There, there's, it turns out it's too bad. Some of us have a lot of responsibilities, but we're just like everybody else. We're human. So I pick them by the opinions of my colleagues, whom I pick for the same reason, by the sense that they make. I had some guys, I got some more today. I had some guys in my office who started a very innovative marketing operation. It's pretty technical. And uh, they were good people. And I watched them while they talked, and they're impressive, right? So you pick them like that, and uh, and I don't, you know, they do things because you know everything is data now, and everything is computers, and everything is electronic communication, and uh, so the people who know that deeply, and by the way, these guys were not engineers; they're just people who run a company that they founded where they employ a bunch of engineers and they're good at talking about it and explaining it. And, you know, if I'd, if I'd been in there with the engineers, God knows what I would have learned. But, but the analogy, so the analogy is we turn to Fauci and I, and I don't mean to, to turn him into the devil. We turned to Dr. Fauci because he was there and he'd been there a long time. We did not turn to Jay Bhattacharya because nobody knew who Jay Bhattacharya was. And nobody called him. And that was the problem with COVID. He, Churchill knew Jackie Fisher. Churchill got around. Churchill talked to everybody. And so he consulted widely. 
and he consulted with people who had previously held the job who did not necessarily like the people who held the job right now. To me, this is a key to going forward when you're running the government is you can't trust the people who are there because they're not there because they were great. They're there because they're long toothed. Yeah, you know, that that's right. We all and remember we we uh, there's another thing that there's an insight in reading things like this because this is a a story of something important that Winston Churchill did which he describes as one of the hardest things he ever did right and so how do you do it well he did it just the way you and I do it you know why are we on this radio program uh, we met each other when you were a lawyer tending to the media and I thought you were foolish, and I liked you. <laughs> so, so you and know, you were running the Claremont Institute, right. and we had a common friend in Tom Fuentes who said we should all have breakfast. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And it was all you remember that, right? And then I would flog my tail end down to Orange County to be on your radio show, and then later on the Dread Life and Times, the PBS. Day. Why did I do that? Well. I made a judgment about you. I thought, yeah, I like that guy. He's hilarious, sometimes ridiculous, and it's kind of fun. And you learn things, right? That's that's how Churchill, that's how we all pick our friends and our colleagues, to the extent that we have the latitude to do it. But and, you know uh, what the trouble is, Dr. Arn, and we'll come back to this. In the online age, we are doing less of that, and we are trusting text, not interpersonal communication. We are not trusting that. And text is a great deceiver. And the online world is full of fake. That is a problem. Oh, yeah, sure. And, you know, getting worse because just think of the word media, right? Everything is mediated. You know, that means there's something between you and it. And that's the problem. Now, one circle of friends and close colleagues is necessarily and will always necessarily be small. You know, I'm married to Penny. I know that woman better than anybody, uh, better than I know anybody else. I probably know her better than anybody else knows her. Uh, and so you can't be married to 10 women. You wouldn't know them, right, the same way. And so there's limits, and those limits still pertain. What, what's bad about social media is that people can write any dang thing anonymously and it has consequences. That's the first thing that's bad about it. I just cautioned our freshmen a week ago. Uh, I said, how many do social media? And they all held up their hands. And I said, stop. You oh, know. God bless you. And then, uh, when we come back next week, we're going to talk about that. No matter what's on my agenda, we're going to talk about that because what you told the freshman cannot be repeated enough. That's it for this week's Hillsdale Dialogue. We will be back next week. Have a great Labor Day weekend, everybody. Enjoy. Go get this book. Go get Churchill. You can get it. Go to hillsdale.edu and find out all about it. Hillsdale.edu has a Churchill project. They'll tell you everything. There are different editions of this, and it's all at hillsdale.edu. Go there, sign up for it, and come back and talk to us next week. Thanks for listening to the Hillsdale Dialogues, part of the Hillsdale College Podcast Network. More episodes at podcast.hillsdale.edu 
or wherever you find your audio. For more information about Hillsdale College, head to hillsdale.edu.